Welcome to Vocal Unrest. I'm Rachel Robinson. Today's guest is Deborah Del Mastro. Deborah is a Bay Area singer, voice coach, actress, and musician whose career has spanned from playing trumpet and singing in the U.S. Navy show band, studying Italian opera in Italy with maestro Carlo Bergonzi, singing Motown R&B and rock in five Bay Area bands, concertizing with jazz and American songbook orchestras, to becoming a professional actress on stage in musical theater and musical comedy, filming, touring, and recording with many TV and film stars. In the theater world, Deborah has been best known for her work as Sister Robert Ann in the well-known Nonsense series, where she originated the role of Sister Robert Ann, the Brooklyn Nun, and toured, filmed, and recorded the last six Nonsense shows, including her one nun show, Sister Robert Ann's Cabaret Class, which Deborah premiered and recorded. Offstage, Deborah has taught voice, drama classes, and trumpet for over three decades and is continuing now online. She also plays trumpet in the orchestra for many Bay Area theaters and loves being in the pit as well as on stage. In 2020, she sings and plays trumpet with the Dr. D Band, the Mixed Nuts Band, and has formed her own solo show with friends, the Hipster Cocktail Party, which performs online and in safety protocol-led live gigs. One thing has rung true throughout Deborah's life and career, the connection and creative flow of life through music and theater. In performing and teaching, art is life, music is therapy, and the connection we all have within ourselves and others through experiencing music and art is fundamental and holy. During this pause time of COVID, Deborah has been inspiring others to find their voices and sing. And she's been gardening, but mostly she is living happily ever after with the love of her life, drummer and partner extraordinaire, Paul Chico. Hi, Deb. Hey, good to see you. Good to hear you. I'm good. Yeah, I am well. Joining me this afternoon, early afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. To talk to you yeah. I love this idea. Oh you. boy, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of experiences. Oh. That's good. That's why we're here to talk. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're just going to dive in. So um, I'm going to start with the, the first question that I start everybody with, which yes. is the question Are you a singer? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I've been a singer, I think, my entire life, you know? I, yeah, I mean, oh, I've been singing for people since I was very young. And, you know, my mother, my mother, I came from a, a musical family. My mother was a singer and a self taught pianist. And she eventually learned, figured out how to read music too. But, and we moved around a lot. It's a long story. Sorry. This is why I'm a singer. <laughs> this is why I'm a singer, you know? So my mother was a singer, right? And every and we moved. My father worked for the Air Force as a civilian, and we moved every two and a half, one and a half to two and a half years, uh, all my life, all my life, you know. So everywhere we went, my mother would join the church, and she would offer her services as a musician, as an organist, as a pianist, and then she would, you know, she would. We would practice at home, and then she would bring me in, and at 
five, six, seven, eight years old, little Debbie would be in there singing the hymns. And I think, oh my God, you know, now, now in my life, I think, oh my God, those poor people having to listen to me, this little, Jesus, love it, you know, for, hmm, yeah. But, I, you know, I always like to say, like Aretha, I, I, I started singing in church young. Yeah, as, <laughs> as I think so many people did, because yeah. there is music there. That's um, it. Do you think your mom, did she, did she give you, like, vocal training, or was it just teaching you the, the songs? No, it was just teaching me the songs by rote. I think she taught herself that way, too. She just had a really good ear. She had a lovely voice. My mom used to sing. I remember I used to hear her singing in the kitchen all the time when she would cook, you know. So, yeah, I used to, and my father thought he did, you know, and was just exuberant. But he was close. He was close. But but he was joyful with everything. He didn't care. He just, oh, my gosh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of what we all want anyway is that, is that right. freedom, right, to just right. sing and not care and not yeah. think about it. And not get squashed by what other people think about it, you know, you know, just to not, you know, I mean, I think in so many of our cultures in the past, you know, since we're all a bunch of immigrants here, you know, in our cultures from the past that we all used to sing, we sang at home, we played instruments. It didn't matter if you were great. It didn't matter if you were mediocre. You joined in, and I think that's what we all used to do. And there was, you know, yeah, there'd probably be some judgment in there too, but we didn't care. You just got in there and did it, you know? I mean, because that's what everybody did. It was accepted, and you that know? And was your form of entertainment, right, for your right. evening. Before we had, I think there something shifted when we started to have recorded music, mm -hmm. right, where you could listen to a professional in your home anytime you wanted. So then, therefore, why would you listen to your family member like yeah Joshua. right <laughs> yeah yeah maybe we lost something there yeah yeah you know I mean it, I, I mean it's so being able to sing and the joy of singing you know is so wrapped up in in who you are and how you feel you know and all, you know, again, this is all this judgment of other people's thoughts or this person sings like this and it has to sound this way. And it's like, no, you, you, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's, I mean, any, any of us who teach or perform, I think, know that music is therapy, you know, learning about how to use your instrument is therapy using your instrument to actually communicate is therapy for the people who listen to you so you know it comes from something so deep that it needs to be open and we in our lives have so many things that push us down you know that it takes being brave and to be open to sing like we did back when we used to just hang out at home and sing around the table with guitars and mandolins and pots and pans to hit on, you know? And like you did when you were a little kid, mm -hmm. right? At singing at church, singing yep. your heart out without any thought about what anybody else thought because as a child, you don't have that self-awareness. That's right. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is there a point that you can remember where it felt like singing and music became something more serious for you? Yeah, I, I do think so. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, um, I've always been a singer. I, I became a trumpet player too later, you know, later in life <laughs> at 12. At 12, since we were talking about when I started. Later on. Yeah. Later on. Uh, yeah, sorry, just a little sidebar here. I love it when you have your 12-year-old students say, well, you know, half my life ago. It's like, that's six years, sweetheart. Anyway, so anyway, when yeah. They, they say, when I was a little kid. Oh, right, no, when I was younger. You still are a little kid. When I was younger. You mean last week? No, okay. <laughs> I know. But, but so, fast forward to 12 and I picked up the trumpet and played it. So, you know, it's like, I think I, I, once I had some performance behind me, I really found freedom actually in playing trumpet more than singing. I don't know why that is. I think maybe by the time I got into my early teens and all, it's like, I think I had it ingrained in me that the, only proper way to sing was in church and that anything else was not really condoned just because of, just because of my action my my parents my mother's background you know it was like you sing for the glory of god and that's it you know otherwise you don't sing so playing trumpet i think is what freed me up to feel the feel what comes back to you when you perform so that fast forward again I joined the Navy I got into the Navy band right and they found I went I, I enlisted as a trumpet player and a first and a singer second and when they found I could actually sing um, I became a singer first and a trumpet player second and the first time I ever remember singing to an audience of people and having it be absolutely silent and where you could feel the audience was when I was about 19 years old and I was singing some Barbara Streisand tune from back in the 70s, you know, late 70s, early 80s. What was that? My Heart Belongs to Me. That's right. It was just this beautiful floaty thing. And it was like, ah, ah, there's that's that's where it is there's the power there's the connection there it is that's what i'm supposed to be doing you know yeah so what was that what was to, like can you describe a little bit more about that that feeling that you got in that moment that you knew okay this is the thing and then how going on uh, as a singer from that point what is that feeling and why do you keep kind of why do we keep chasing after that feeling that we get from singing that way? Oh, well, you know, I, again, you know, I, I still remember that, that feeling after finishing the song and it, it just floated. It's like the music floated into the air and everybody just sat there in it for a little bit. And it's such, it's such a feeling of like expansiveness and connection at the same time that I, you know, it's, it's almost, it's like addicting. It's also very, you know, it's like you just want to do it. 
you know you want to feel that not only for yourself but for this whoever is in the room with you you know or at this point whoever is in that other room connected to you <laughs> via the internet yeah yeah <laughs> well there is that just enormous you know endorphin rush i think that comes from any kind of performance right athletes get it performers get it we all get that sort of rush you know from our, in our yeah. brains that courses through your body so i think you know that's probably definitely part of it but and then yeah. also the sort of communing with other people yes you know and that's the thing you know i remember feeling it very feeling something like that very distinctly much later in life when i was playing patsy klein at the Ordway in St. Paul. And the band was on stage. It's a two-woman show, always Patsy Cline. And there were times where I was that character out on stage singing, and I would turn around and look at my band, and it's like the band was so tight and so together that it was like we were, we were so connected that it was like the whole, you know, I could turn around and look at the band. They were all, everyone was just tight together listening just doing this thing together and I'd turn around and look at the audience and they all had the same feeling the same expressions it's all felt the same and I think that sort of transcendent quality that real connected yet open flowing music you know has you know that it's just such a it's a it's it's a universal thing. It connects everyone, you know. I, I think transcendent is the perfect is the mm -hmm. perfect word for it. It's that it's that perfect balance of yeah, you said, you know, connected yet open or that sort of energized yet relaxed. Exactly. Feeling, right. Sort of that nirvana place that we're always trying to Yeah. Find. Yeah, cuz you know the thing is is that it really isn't about you when you sing. I mean, you can be but, you know, I think your audience, I mean, you, why, why sing if you don't have something to say? You know, I mean, yes, we are paid to do things that we don't necessarily want to say, <laughs> you know, and so, yes, you do those, you know, that too. But, you know, if you're going to get up and do, if you're going to, you really are compelled to sing, you know, it's like, you need to have something to say, you know, I don't know. You just don't, you don't just sing for no reason. Right. Or I mean, so, it's good, but it won't, it won't come across. Right. And, and like, and like I say, you know, to me, it comes through you, not from you. You can't make things happen. You have to allow them to happen, you know? So I don't know where I was going with that. I just uh, got off in a. One of my teaching tangents there. We love, like... we love tangents here. We love that. It's all good. So, okay, so so you're 19 and you kind of discover or, you know, that your voice comes out or is allowed to come out. So then what happened after, after that, after you sort of start on this singer path? Yeah, well, what happened after that is actually I damaged my voice by singing improperly in the Navy while I was in the Navy. Um, I had a pretty serious vocal issue that stopped me from singing for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I burst a blood vessel in my throat singing by singing. Can you even imagine how much tension that took? 
because of all the people I've interviewed on this show so far, it's amazing how many people have spoken about their vocal issues, vocal damage, vocal strains that they have experienced. And I love it. Not that I love that people have had vocal trauma, but I think it's so great to talk about because this has been so hush hush I feel like in our yeah. industry for so long nobody ever wants to t- like own up to the fact that anyone could possibly damage their voice and then recover from it yeah. And, and yeah go on and have a full career and a healthy career um, so I just I, I appreciate you sharing this and also I just think it's so it's so enlightening for listeners to hear that yes like this is something that happens but it doesn't have to mean it's the end you know the end of your vocal life right 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 so yeah I've been singing for a couple of years and again I'm a trumpet player right so reaching a high note as a trumpet player you raise the back of your tongue to speed up the air right singing high as being a singer and reaching high notes by raising the back of your tongue is probably one of the most unhelpful and damaging things you can do. You know, it makes it so extremely difficult. So that's the way I was singing because I sang like a trumpet player. So, hmm. So in the morning, I was I was stationed at, at Treasure Island in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And in the morning, we were at sea level. And in the evening, we were in Denver. We were a mile high. And we flew up there in a cargo plane. How lovely that is. But we got up there. And I, not having any idea how to support my voice, within 20 minutes of singing the first set, um, I was straining for high notes that were not so difficult to do at sea level. Not knowing how to breathe as deeply as I needed to to support my instrument. Okay, and um, as I was singing, I lit, I felt an actual visceral pop in the side of my neck, and within seconds, within seconds, my voice was lowered like a man because of the amount of blood pouring into the tissues. It looked like some, I mean, it was instantaneous. It was just an amazing, like, special effects kind of thing. It looked like someone sliced half a grapefruit and stuck it into my throat because it went, so it must have been a big, big vein. I don't know. I'm glad I lived through it. You know, (laughs) I mean, sheesh, who knew, you know? But yeah, if I, if it put so much, so much, um, just the, the blood and all that, the extra blood and all those tissues put so much pressure on my vocal cords that it dropped my voice by an octave. And I, how do you sing? How do you sing with that? So I was on the first night of a 21-day tour. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, it was, um, you know, nope. And nobody knew what it was. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what was going on at all. So, you know took some time off, you know, they were, you know, my band leader was telling me, here, drink some cream de menthe, that's good, here, drink some whiskey, that's gonna, (laughs) no, no, you know, 
Anyway, it took um, it took a great deal of time. It took about six months. Did you see a, an ENT or a doctor at any point? Um, yeah, yeah. Now remember, I'm in the military, mm -hmm. which is a completely different mindset. And in the military, you are government property. Okay, that you are. You're a number. You're government property. At least used to be back then. I don't know if it's still that way now. I imagine it is. But, um, no, they sent me to a psychiatrist first because by the time 21 days was over, the blood had gone back into the tissues. But I must have had scar tissue, something, something was going on, and I still couldn't sing. And when you go to an ear, nose, and throat person in, in, the, in the circumstances that I was in, they, you know, when you tell somebody your voice hurts, your voice is not a thing that they can look at. <laughs> they can look at parts of the body. They can't look at the voice. So they sent me to a psychiatrist to figure out what was wrong with my voice. It wasn't until I was out of, and I had to, I had to stop singing. <clears throat> I had to stop singing because they wanted me to continue singing the quality of songs that I was singing before, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. Um, yeah, I couldn't. For six months, it was actually painful. But I, you know, had I not been in the military, and it was my job to do this at the time, um, I would have probably just been quiet. Okay, so eventually, they did let me stop singing and stay a trumpet player. And I got out of the service. And two years later, I hadn't sung still. I, I just didn't sing. I could, I could, but I didn't. What was that like emotionally for you um, at that time? It was, a, it was a crisis time in my life. Yeah. I made so many wrong decisions, so many bad decisions, you know, during that time, you know, trying to fill that void. Yeah, I made really stupid, bad decisions, <laughs> you know. But, you know, looking back on it now, it's like, oh, well, I'm glad I learned all that because now I don't have to do that again, you know. <laughs> But boy, that was dumb at the time. But you know, mm, yeah, you know, it was also you were dealing with something. Exactly, and I was a kid. I was twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. We all make stupid decisions at that age. I know. Sure. I know. <laughs> I know. So yeah. So after I'd been out of the Navy for a couple of years, they had this world famous doctor to the opera stars, this ENT person, at. Oak Knoll Hospital and for to do a talk and I was the only person that in the Bay Area that anyone had dealt with where they could not figure out what was wrong what happened so they called me back in as a civilian two years later to go and be you know the person up there that for the master class right and I went up on the stage, and I don't even remember this guy's name, but he, he we talked a little bit, and he said, oh, this is what happened. And everybody was like, wow, man. You know, the whole audience, everybody was like, wow, that, you know. It's like, yeah, it's not a, it, it, it is connected psychologically, yes, but that wasn't what created the issue. So that's when I figured out what had happened, and that it wasn't permanent damage and that I probably could sing again. Wow. So 
I was in college and I started to sing again. Anyway, yeah, and then I became a double major and was, you know, a performance. I was learning opera, but I already had this damage and I did not, at the time, I still couldn't figure out how to really make it work because I was singing classical in college, in school, but I was still a professional musician. So I was playing in a salsa band and I was singing with a Motown band and I was singing and playing with a big band. I was doing all this while learning this totally new kind of classical way to sing, but it didn't translate to the other to the other genres, so I still ended up hurting myself. And was that the first time <laughs> that you really received like a formal vocal training at that yes. point? Yes. Yes. Yep. And so I know, you know, things have changed a little bit, you know, now, but I know, you know, largely even like as I was coming up through school and classical music, you know, teachers were very strict about not singing other styles. Mm -hmm. Was that your experience during that time? Well, yeah, once, once I got into college, yeah. But the thing is, is that I'd been a professional for four or five years. Already. Mm -hmm. So, no, the, you know, I... So here's the other thing too. I mean, you know, when you when you go through an experience like the military and then go to college or then go, you know, see professors, doctors, all these people that have power over us, we we oh, we deify them. I didn't look at them so much that way. It was like, mm, I'm paying your salary. So, um I need help and I don't need uh, berating or you know this judgment. I need help. I would like you to teach me. So I think I came at everybody in a different way too, <laughs> you know? I'm sure. I mean, it, probably certainly better for you in the long run because I think, you know, a lot of us go through school, as you said, with these kind of like teacher pleasing uh, behaviors mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. attitudes rather than, as you said, the attitude of, yeah, I'm, I'm paying you, I'm the right. client, so you should, you should help me with the thing that I, that I, right. So and how I, did that, how did that work out? Well, <laughs> see, cause, it, well, I mean, it, see, so that, so, <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it, <laughs> so you see, cause the thing is, is that the music was my living, which was paying for me to learn how to do that better too. Not just because I, I had, while I was in college, okay, I, I had been, I actually, okay, oh gosh, where do I start? So I did have a voice coach now that I think about it. I had a voice coach doing opera classical when I was 22 when I was 22 and it was kind of, yeah. So I, I started kind of learning classically, but she was more of an accompanist coach than she was a voice teacher, she, you know? So she knew, she knew about it, but she didn't know exactly how. So, but she knew that my voice was perfect for opera. Perfect. Which I was like, please, I'm singing, you know, I'm singing Shaka Khan over here. You know, it was like, you know, how, I'm curious, like how, how did you go to the classical world? How did that come up? Let's back up a second, I guess. Okay. So this came up, <laughs> I've had a life. 
<laughs> I've had a life. Uh, I, I started, I started, it started back when I was married to my second husband, who is a trumpet player. And one of the women that worked in the store was my voice coach. She taught piano lessons there and she taught little, little ones to sing, but she had been the accompanist for for Renata Tobaldi. <laughs> she was her she was her best friend. She had played with her and went and Claudio Abaudi and all this when she was young. So she knew the sound and she heard it in my voice. She heard it in my voice when I was singing with the big band. So she talked me into coming to her house to and what we did was we sat down and watched the video um, of La Boheme. And I had never heard any opera before. So she was very wily and smart by introducing me to La Boheme because it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard in my life. I was just like, ha, wow, wow. You know, this is the ultimate. This is the ultimate in singing and music. It's like all this passion and all this. And I turned to her, I remember, and I said, do you think I could sing like that? And she went, oh, yes. So I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know, the first time out. Now, again, I'd been in the Navy. It was the late 70s. So I was singing in a disco band, you know, it was top 40 in the 70s, which was a lot of fun, a lot of horns and all that stuff. So I'd never heard of this opera stuff. How do you do this? It sounds like a bunch of hollering, but it isn't, you know, but it is, but it isn't. So I started there and then life happened we separated i went i was started school at in my during my second marriage i started school and i was a trumpet major i was a trumpet major and i got into my sophomore year and i was uh studying with joe alessi who uh joe alessi was uh the metropolitan opera's um first trumpet player the principal trumpet player and he had married an opera singer Okay, so now he's retired, living in California, teaching at San Francisco State. I couldn't get a rhythm, and he walked, he said, sing this rhythm, and I sang it, and he looked at me, and he said, sing it again, and I, ba -da, ba -da, da da okay, and he went over to the piano, and he played a scale, and he said, sing this scale, and I said, what are we doing? Because again, I'm not 18, I'm not 19, I'm 22, 23, I said, what are we doing? And he said, you should be a singer. I said, thank you. This is what I want to hear from you. You know, <laughs> thank you. And he said, you're going to go see my wife. And here's what we're going to do. So, okay. So I went out and I met his wife and she said, oh, you're an opera singer. I was like, please, really? You know, so he talked me into doing a double major. And I started studying voice, studying opera again, though, here, you know, again, this is why I could say to my teacher, this is what I want to hear from you, that I shouldn't be playing trumpet, I should be singing, thank you. You know, I was old enough that I was making my living doing this other music. You had to teach me how to not only sing opera, but how to support my, you know, how, how to do all this. So... So, yeah, that's how I got into opera. My, my first voice coach, you know, tricked me into going to her house and watching La Boheme.
Knowing that I was a musician, knowing that I was going to just, you know, fall in love with the story and the sound and the how whole, you, you know. Puccini? I know. <laughs> it's like, how can you resist Puccini? Please. Oh, my all, God. All you hear are those lush, you know, oh. romantic era, like sweeping lines. Woo. Like, okay, forget it. Yeah, oh. I'll sing opera for you. Yeah. <laughs> the walk off of the Mimi Rodolfo duet Amor Amor. Amor, amor, up to up to that high C. Oh yeah, it's like yeah, let's do that. Yeah, okay. Can I do that? Okay, you know, yeah. Okay, so um, so what happened next? What, what was? <laughs> I'm, I'm invested in the story now. So, <laughs> so okay, so um, <clears throat> so I went through my universe. So. So here I am um, uh, now, a third-year student. Second, now I've got two years in as a as a voice major, and um, my coach from before tells me that I should um, I should apply to the Bel Canto Foundation in Chicago because there is this because she knows Carlo Bergonzi, the tenor of Carlo Bergonzi. She knows him because he's a great friend of Renata Tabaldi's. It's amazing that I have, it's like this seven degrees of separation kind of thing, you know? It's like, my God, here I am in South San Francisco and I have direct connections. To... So she says, you should audition for this. And I was like, yeah, I haven't been doing this long enough. I'm too old. I was 24, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm too old. You can't start now. You know, this is all the things that I was told at the time that I repeated back to her. And she said, nah, just do it. Just do it. Do, you know, sing the way, you know, you know how to sing. Don't worry. Just do it what I taught you, how to sing these arias. Okay. So I hired, I can't remember her name. This is awful. I hired this very well-known pianist at the time, classical pianist, to accompany me. And I went to her house to... Um, <clears throat> to practice, to rehearse. And um, after I sang it the first time, sang through, um, I think it was Mimi's aria, yeah. Um, the first time she looked at me and she said, well, honey, you know, the people, the people in Chicago really know what singers sound like, so, you know, you just go ahead and do this and, you know, good luck kind of thing. So even though she did that to me, right, and I had some, you know, some sass in me anyway, because I was not 18, right, um, I figured, well, I already paid her, so let's, let's just get this, you know, she's good, so let's just get this recording done. Yeah, so, so we go through the recording, we recorded three arias, you know, and again, at the end, she was like, good luck, sweetie, kind of thing. <clears throat> and I was accepted. I was one of 17 people in the world accepted one of four Americans, and I got to go to um, Italy, to Milan, to Parma, actually, in the in Busetto in Parma region, and do this um, immersion, uh, immersive uh, Italian opera class. It was about Verdi. So, so yeah, so... I mean, how, it's so wonderful that you had, you, you, you came across these people in your life who heard something, mm -hmm. heard something in you, and despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily what you had been setting out to do, or you know you were 
older, so old, 24 or older. I know. Than, you know, the average student who they were working on, working with at the time that they heard something and saw something in you where they said, you need, you should go, you should go do that. And mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you received that, um, that feedback and that encouragement to go, you know, try a different path. And that, you know, even, and, and it also goes to show how sort of subjective the whole thing is, because on the one hand, you can have one teacher who's saying, you know, you have a gift, you need to go do this, we're changing majors. <laughs> like, I know. And everything else. And then you have this accompanist who's like, well, good luck. Right? I know, sweetie. To show that it's, it's, so, it's so subjective anyway. So yeah. You may Isn't as well try, right? Right, right. It's like if you if you are compelled to sing, you must sing. You know, I mean, if you have to sing, you just have to sing. Because if you don't, you're unhappy. You know, it, it's just it, it, the, there's a joy that's missing somehow, you know. So, yeah, it's in you, you have to do it. I know. Yeah, I, I really I really believe that. So so I go to Italy. I'm 26 now. Right? I go to Italy and I get sick. I got really, really sick <laughs> and I couldn't sing. So I got to go to all the master classes and everything else. I had, I had a pharynx, in, a throat infection. I had never had this ever in my life. But there you are, you know, I went to another country and another, you know, it's like I just picked it, I just picked it up. It was in February, so it was cold. And I spent half of the time not being able to sing. In the middle, luckily. So in the beginning, I sang for him. He knew what my voice was like. And then I had to be quiet. And then I had to recover and start singing again. And I had lost most of my mid-range because it was a throat infection, not a sinus infection. <laughs> ah! so, I had, so I had gone there with this Verdi and it was a Verdi, it was like I guess was gonna sing all this really heavy, you know, just passionate and I had no voice to do that and I ended up singing um, this song from Falstaff that was very light and fairies and all that and it was like but I learned so much. I learned so much just from watching the other classes and and listening to the other singers and marveling and all the different bodies and different sounds and all the different ways that they were singing. You know, I think there, it's interesting. It's like, you know, I don't think there's one particular correct way the ultimate right way to sing, I have the way, this is the way. I don't think there is one way. I think there are many ways to achieve the same, the same outcome. I completely agree. Because how could there be one way? Because there's no one instrument. Yeah. If you, you are the instrument when you are a singer and mm -hmm. we are all completely different. So how could there possibly be one, one way? There yeah, because it's like I know. Work for every I know. human body that exists and human mind. That's right. There. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward. Okay. Time here, because I'm curious. So I know you from doing theater. Yes. So I'm curious to know how you went from opera to 
musical theater? Well, yeah, though, so in, in high school and, you know, and on, I played in the pit orchestras for theater, okay? So I always knew them and liked them, but I was never on stage. Um, in college at San Francisco State, I met a young man that I, that was a punk rock singer that was um, studying opera. Because he, he, yeah, he he was he was a rocker, he was a punker, he was all of this, and I just was just fell head over heels for this guy, and um, we were together for a couple of years. We sang all this opera stuff together. He invited me to sing with his rock band. I did some backup vocals for him, and we broke up. We broke up because he wanted to go to New York and become an actor. He wanted to do theater. And he felt like being in a relationship wasn't going to allow that to happen. So it's like, okay, so he left me to go off to New York to be, right? And because what he said to me was that in San Francisco, it, out here, you can't do any theater. You can't do theater. You can't make a living doing theater. You can't perform out here. Now, I've been singing with bands for a while, and I had never done any theater. I'd done some opera, I'd done some classical singing, but I'd never done any theater on stage. And I was like, I'm going to show this guy. I'm going to show him that you can do it. I'm going to show him. So there were all these auditions coming up. I auditioned for Susan B. Anthony, the musical, the first time it came out. I auditioned for Pump Boys and Dinettes because I'd never done anything like that. I auditioned for like four or five different things. I got cast in all of them. I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay. So I thought, well, what have I never done before? What have I never done? And that was Pump Boys and Dinettes. So I said yes to that one and did Pump Boys and Dinettes at um, Theater Works in Palo Alto. Long, long ago, back, back in the 1900s, I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, it was just such a perfect fit for me. <laughs> you know, it's like as a, as a band person, a band singer, a big band singer, all that, and with some op operatic training and all this and... You know, it was like, wow, this is the marriage of all of that. Right, right. You know, here you go. So I kind of got into theater by, you know, as just, by God, I'm going to show you any, I can do this. Of course you can happen. I love it. <laughs> yep. I got, you know, I, and then from then on, it was just a couple of years to my equity card. Um, I made, it wasn't that long, it was, yeah, it wasn't that long. It's about a year and a half. But yeah, you know, I mean, it was just was a natural for me. Yeah. Well, it seems to fit because just from knowing you and then also from everything you've shared today, it sort of seems like, you know, your your calling card, I guess, and what have you is is versatility. You're so versatile as a singer and a musician, right? From being able to sing classically to doing musical theater to singing all different styles with different bands yeah so, yeah and 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 theater kind of calls for that versatility because obviously there are so many different styles of music that are used in in shows mm -hmm. um, so what what would you say then sort of technically as a singer in relationship to your voice how do you how do you maintain a healthy voice whilst being able to sing in all these different styles from you know belting to soprano and everything in between. right 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 so 
Um, so I told, I already told you, I damaged myself very early on singing. And then I did, I did it again over and over, you know, because again, the, 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 the fact that I was singing other kinds of music, other styles of music while I was learning this classical technique, I did not know how to transfer that technique to the other styles of singing I was, I was doing. I was still breathing more, so supporting a little bit more, but I still was not really, really supporting my instrument, not properly. So, and, and I was working so much as a singer you know, once I got into musical theater, I found cabaret right away and reviews, you know, and uh, and I worked all the time. I just worked all the time. So I didn't know how to how to be healthy and do eight shows a week, do two shows a night. I didn't know how to stay healthy and do that. And at a, an absolute crisis point where I had given, I had finally, just, you know, created vocal nodules, you know, soft nodes, soft, soft, um, on my chords where I was making two sounds when I was saying. So, you know, when I teach, I know I've been there, you know, and I had to, I finally found the teacher that taught me how to sing properly and gave me my career, you know. And because of him, because of Eddie Sayeg, you know, Edward Sayeg, he is the reason I have a career. He's the reason I'm 62 now and still have a voice, you know, and still can do rock and roll and musical theater or musical theater that is rock and roll right. and make it through eight shows a week and still have a voice, you know. But I had to, again, find all of the problems there in order to finally find the teacher who gave me my voice, which is still classical technique in actual vocal production, but stylizing inside the mouth, stylizing with the body rather than with the sound of the voice to, to get your, get your, your acting point up across to get you to, to communicate so that took some time figuring that out but once I figured it out once I dealt with that it was like oh you know so I use the same really the same sign kind of technique um, to sing Led Zeppelin ACDC Bonnie Raitt Stephen Sondheim <laughs> you know um, Stephen Schwartz all of the different you know different styles I you know I have I have learned how to manipulate within my mouth with subtly within my body instead of in my throat to make things happen because again it doesn't come from you it comes through you you know and once you find that technique that works for you right then then everything opens up and as yes. you said it you as you learn to use the whole instrument right mm -hmm. and not just this throat mm -hmm. thing, right mm -hmm. then you can modify and manipulate resonance and placement and things like that to achieve the right exactly 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 Fantastic. yeah well, yeah. great. So, so I'll just I'll, I'll I'll wrap up, you know, here and and just ask you if you had any advice that you would give to an aspiring singer in a, a couple sentences. Oh yeah. Uh, what would what would it I'll be? try. 
I'll try. Do anything that makes you happy and open-minded and open-hearted, you know? Anything that brings you just like, oh, finally, here I am. Anything you can do in your life that can open your heart, open your mind, go there and take a deep breath and try to sing from there. You know, that's, you know, above everything else. It's like you have to find what centers you, what, uh, what just, yeah, yeah. You know, don't, don't listen to the naysayers. That's the other thing too, you know, and finding that open, joyous place will open your throat where you grip, where we grip everything. It'll open that up and it'll be easier to sing without having to think a whole lot about technique stuff. It's just Perfect. sing okay. anyway. <laughs> anyway yeah that's what we that's what we need like yep sing <laughs> monogram, anyway monogrammed in a banner and you know for our lives sing, yep. sing anyway sing anyway yeah well deb thank you so much for for spending some time with me today and sharing some of your journey as as a singer as a vocalist it was so wonderful to talk to you and to <laughs> thank hear you more of your story i know i feel like we could have just like talked for hours i know hours, huh but you know, we'll do that. We'll do that off the air. <laughs> okay. Okay. Rachel, oh, thank you so much. And thanks for doing this program. How wonderful. It's so, you know, I mean, I listened to your other podcast too. It is just fascinating. So fascinating about, you know, the human voice and because we all have one, you know, so thank you. Thank you for bringing this to us too. Yay. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much to Deborah for coming on to the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. To find out more about Deborah's work, you can visit her website, debradelmastro.com. To find out more about Vocal Unrest, upcoming shows, and our guests, visit vocalunrest.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening this year. We'll see you back in 2021. See you next time. <laughs>